Well, an official good morning to all of you. All right. That's okay. Got an extra hour of sleep, and yet, still not awake. I do want to thank all of you for being here today. Thank you for those of you who are joining us online and on the podcast. I do want to say a special word to you guys who are watching. If you do not have a church home and you're just watching, uh, we would love to see you here. We would love to see you be a part of this group of people in person. So if you are that person, please see that as an invitation to come. Hey, we're starting a new series today. Uh, We finished our I Want to Know What Love Is series, and now we're starting a series called Freedom. And the idea here is, well, I'll let the sermon speak for itself for that, but we're going to be looking at John chapter 8, verses 31 through 36 for this series, for this particular sermon. And uh, this is Jesus. He is speaking to some Jews who had believed him but still had some issues And here's what God's word says from John chapter 8, starting in verse 31. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free. Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Let me pray for us. Jesus, we know that you came to set the captives free, to preach good news to the poor. You came to give sight to the blind. And while there is a physical aspect to all of those things, there's also a spiritual aspect. We may be blind in many ways. We may be oppressed and in captivity in many ways. We may be poor in spiritual things today. So by your spirit, will you meet us where we are? Give us what we need so that we will grow in faith, in love, in all that you have for us, that we will be the people you want us to be, giving glory and honor to you, loving each other well, and even letting that love spill out into the community around us. And we ask this, Lord Jesus, in your name and for your glory, along with the Father and the Holy Spirit, our one true God. Amen. So if there's anything that I know, if you're speaking about a subject in this country... Freedom is one of those ones that gets people's blood pumping. Because there's no doubt about it, Americans value freedom. It is written right there in the very founding fathers of our nation. 
It is a, a foundational aspect of who we are as a nation. We value freedom. Think about Patrick Henry who said, give me liberty or give me death, right? And I think it's New Hampshire, if I'm not mistaken, that their, that their uh, slogan is live free or die. That's America for you. Or Benjamin Franklin said this, freedom is not a gift bestowed upon us by other men, but a right that belongs to us by the laws of God and nature. Samuel Adams stated, our unalterable resolution should be to be free. In other words, if there's anything that we're going to focus on most of all as Americans, we need to say we are going to be free no matter what. Our Declaration of Independence, and you probably can, some of you can probably recite this, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their Creator with certain unalienable rights. And you know what those rights are? Life, liberty, that's freedom, and the pursuit of happiness. And even the First Amendment to our Constitution as a nation says that Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof, or abridging the freedom of speech, or of the press, or of the right of people to peace, peaceably assemble, and to petition the government for a redress of grievances. There's no doubt about it. Freedom is the lifeblood of this nation. But do we actually know what freedom is? Back in 2020, Time Magazine ran an article entitled, Freedom Means Something Different to Liberals and Conservatives. Now don't worry, I'm not going to get all political on you. I'm just reporting what Time Magazine said, okay? According to the article, Liberals tend to see freedom in terms of making sure everyone's voice is heard, particularly the voices of minorities, and that the role of government is to protect the rights of those who are in the minority. Conservatives, on the other hand, according to the article, tend to see freedom as an individual's right to privacy and enjoyment of their life and their possessions, particularly without government influence. What if both are wrong? What if these visions of freedom are deficient and defective? What if true freedom is something even better than having our voice heard. Even better than enjoying our property. What if true freedom isn't really measured in terms of what the government is doing, whether it's big government or small? What if true freedom isn't really as much as a right everyone deserves, as much as it, as it is a gift 
given to those who will receive it. That's what we're going to be talking about for the next few weeks. And particularly today, we're going to talk about where true freedom is found. And true freedom is found in Jesus. Full stop. True freedom is found in Jesus. That's true if you're an American. That's true if you're in the most oppressed country in the world. True freedom is found in Jesus. Let's take a look at this. Verse 31 of John 8. Jesus is talking to some Jews who had believed him, but they still had some issues with some of the things he was saying. And so Jesus said, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And so he's saying, listen, you say you believe me, but if you really want to prove that you're my disciples, abide in what I say. And then he goes on to say, if you do this, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Now, in our country, in our culture, in our society, oftentimes that phrase, the truth will set you free, is used to just say, if you know any real truth, it's going to be freeing to you. But Jesus meant something very specific by this phrase. Because he's saying, if you abide in my word, my truth, You're truly my disciples. And if you abide by my word and you're truly my disciples, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. What is that truth? I think he basically spells it out in verse 36. So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. It's not just knowing something that sets you free. It's knowing a who, and the who is Jesus. When you know Jesus, when you believe in him, when you're trusting in him, he sets you free. So free, he says, you will be free indeed. Now, you may be hearing this and going, but Stuart, again, America... We live in a free country, and you're telling us our freedom isn't found in our nation? That real freedom is found in some guy that lived 2,000 years ago? How can that be the case? And if you're thinking that, or if you've got that thought process going through your mind, hey, you're not alone, because... The Jews that he was speaking to that day thought the very same thing. Only they weren't thinking about Americans. They were thinking about children of Abraham. Verse 33, they answered Jesus. After he said all this, they said, We are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? See, they were looking at what Jesus was saying and they're saying, Wait a second, we've never been enslaved. We're free people. How can you say that we'll be free if we do something, if we believe something, if we trust in you? We're already free. Now, one of the problems here is that even by their own definition of freedom, they were not free. They said, we have 
never been enslaved to anyone. Does anybody recall what happened to the Jews back in Moses' day? Where they were around several hundred years in slavery in Egypt. And then, even more recent for them, was the Babylonian captivity, where the Babylonians came in and they captured them and took them away from their home and brought them into Babylon, into a a place that they did not know, and they were captive there for 70 years. Oh, we've, we've never been. We've never been slaves. Well, maybe what they were saying is that we personally have never been slaves. Maybe, let's give them the benefit of the doubt. Well, guess what? Even though it wasn't slavery per se, they were currently, as they were speaking, under Roman occupation. And they could not do what they wanted to do unless Rome gave the go-ahead. So they really weren't free, even by their own definition of freedom. But Jesus wasn't talking about government, at least not human government. He was talking about something much greater, much more powerful, much more essential to the human experience. And so uh, as uh, we read in the book Elective Affinities, this quote, none are more hopelessly enslaved than those who falsely believe they are free. That was true for them. That may be true for us. When you think that you are free, but you're really not, you are truly enslaved. You are enslaved indeed, because you don't even see it. So what is it that Jesus is talking about? What is it he's saying that if you want to be free, you believe the truth about me and I will set you free? What is he setting us free from? Well, Jesus sets us free from enslavement to sin. That is the good news of Jesus. Jesus sets us free free from enslavement to sin. We see this in verse 34. So Jesus had said, the truth will set you free. And they said, wait a second, we're not, we're not, we're not enslaved. We're free people. How can you say we'll be set free? And then Jesus in verse 34 says, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. Everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. Now, first of all, let's define our terms. What do we mean when we say the word sin? When Jesus is using this phrase, he's not just talking about people who murder. He's not just talking about people who commit adultery. He's not just talking about people who rob banks. He's talking about anything that we say or do or think that is contrary to the way God designed us to be. That's sin. If God says, this is what's best for you, and we say, oh, no, 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 I think this is what's best for me over here, then that's sin. 
And anything that we do that is out of alignment with who God calls us to be, that is sin. And Jesus says, anyone who practices that, your thoughts, your words, your actions, you're a slave to it. Uh, Peter says something very similar in 2 Peter 2.19 when he says they, talking about false prophets, promise people freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption. For whatever overcomes a person, to that he is enslaved. For whatever overcomes a person, to that he is enslaved. Hey, let me ask you a very personal question. Is there something that overcomes you that you wish was not there? Some thought, some action, some pattern of words that you say, I wish I would stop doing this. That is the enslavement of sin. In a sermon I listened to recently um, on sin as slavery, Tim Keller compared sin to addiction. And I thought this was really helpful. He basically was saying that sin, giving in to sin, is like giving in to an addiction. I don't know how many of you really know what it's like to give in to an addiction, but I think after I read this, you'll, you'll hear more of this. Every sin actually brings into our lives a power that operates exactly like addiction dynamics. So here's the addiction dynamics that he's talking about. You feel some discomfort in your life, maybe disappointment, maybe distress, and you try to deal with that, those negative feelings, those negative thoughts, by engaging in something that promises some type of relief. It promises some type of freedom. It promises a sense of being in control. Maybe it's abusing alcohol. Maybe it's abusing drugs. Maybe it's overeating. Maybe it's pornography. It could be all kinds of things. Anything that overcomes us. But whatever we engage in to give us that sense of freedom, that sense of liberty, that sense of being in control can only assuage us temporarily at best. We get caught in a cycle of feeling the need for more relief. And then we engage in something to try and give us relief. And then we feel better for a moment, but then we need more of it. And then it's never enough. And so we try again and again and again. It's a trap. It's a trap that grabs us and holds us. It's enslavement. The very thing that promised relief from our distress actually becomes the source of our distress. That's when you know that you're really addicted when trying to escape your distress, you're going to the very thing that causes the problem. 
sin operates just like that. We feel a little distress, a little discomfort, a little desire for freedom, and then we fool ourselves into thinking that real freedom is not doing what God calls us to do, what God says we ought to do. We should be free to do what we want to do, when we want to do it, and how we want to do it, and God shouldn't tell us anything about how we ought to live our lives. And then we go and do whatever it is we want to do, and for a moment it feels good. And then we find ourselves in the trap because we go back to it again and again and again. The very act of trying to be free from God is what brings us into bondage. The very thing that we think will make us free actually enslaves us. Let me ask you, do you see that pattern in your life? If not, let me give you some examples to think about. Maybe one time you wrongly expressed your anger and irritability and it got you what you wanted in that moment. You know, you kind of blew your top and everybody was like, oh, yeah, whatever you want. And now you can't seem to stop being irritable. You can't seem to stop blowing up in anger when things don't go your way. Maybe one time you were critical and judgmental of another person and it gave you a sense of power and control over them. And now you find yourself being critical and judgmental of everything. <laughs> and you can't seem to stop. Maybe one time you watched a sexually titillating movie and now you can't stop yourself from looking at internet porn. Maybe you shared some negative news about someone as a prayer request to your fellow Christian and now you find yourself gossiping and slandering and saying all kinds of ugly things about other people and you can't seem to stop. That is the addicting nature of sin. It's slavery. And part of what is so atrocious about sin is that it's a slavery that we find, we got ourselves into in the first place. We readily gave in to it. And then we found ourselves stuck. That's all the bad news. The good news is what Jesus says here. Jesus says that he sets sinners free from slavery to sin. And he gives this little short parable. And, and it's easy for us to kind of skip over this because we might not understand what he's talking about. Verse 35, he says, The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. Now what is he talking about here? In, in that society, in that culture, the family was a big deal. Okay, 
So the father, he's the head of the house. And then he passes on power to his son, usually the firstborn. And that son is the one who stays in the house and he rules the house. And whatever he says, once the father is gone, then the son is in power and whatever he says goes. The slaves may come and go. They may be there for a time and then they're sold away or they die or they're sent out. But the son is the one who makes all the decisions. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. Verse 36, so if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. In other words, it is the son who has the authority to set you free from whatever it is if you're a slave in the house. And guess what? Jesus says he's the son that remains forever. And he has the authority to set people free from their sin. And he does. So what does this look like? I want to give us some things to think about in terms of what it looks like. Because it's one thing to say, oh, I'm set free from sin. Hallelujah. But it's, it's a different thing to actually grasp it, to understand it, and to live it out. So let, let's talk some specifics here. How does Jesus set those who believe free? Well, first of all, those who believe in Jesus are set free from the penalty of sin. The penalty of sin. See, sin isn't just something that ruins our lives in the here and now. It has a penalty that is an everlasting penalty, an eternal penalty, something that is a judgment from God. And we read about that in Romans 6.23. The wages of sin is death. Okay? You sin, you get paid with death. That's your payment. You do sin, you get death. And not just physical death, spiritual death. Death that if something doesn't happen, will last for eternity. But thanks be to God, that passage doesn't end there, right? It doesn't end with, the wages of sin is death. Have a nice life. It goes on. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. I think it was last week that we sang the song... um, Before the throne of God above. It was written by Charity Bancroft when she was 22 years old. 22-year-old wrote that beautiful hymn. And it's got one of those those sections that I keep going back to over and over and over again to remind me of this truth. Because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free. For God the just is satisfied to look on him and pardon me. See, when Jesus went to the cross, he took my sin, your sin, sin from people all over the world, and he paid the price for it so that we could be set free. You know, oftentimes uh, sin is called a debt in scripture. Sometimes when we pray the Lord's prayer, we say, "Forgive us our debts 
as he as we forgive those who uh, have sinned against us, our debtors, right? So we need to think about sin in terms of debt. Um, recently, I went to a restaurant, and I, I don't see this very often, but I just I, when I saw it, I was like, "Oh, that's beautiful." So I'm sitting in the re- I'm sitting at the table, and I, the waiter or the waitress I can't remember which uh, brought us the bill, and I took the bill up to the cash register, and the person took the bill and said, "Okay, it's going to be," and he gave me the price. I pulled out my payment, and I gave him the payment, and then there was this nail that was sticking up right beside the cash register. And he took that bill and he went pop like that and pierced it through. You know what he was saying? This bill is paid, paid in full. And when Jesus was pierced on the cross, guess what he said? It is finished. Or the Greek says, tetelestai, paid in full. That's your sin, believer. Paid in full. There is no penalty that you have to pay for your sin. It was paid at the cross. And that sets us free. Amen? But that's not the only thing that Jesus sets us free from when it comes to sin. Yeah, he sets us free from the penalty of sin, but we're also free from the power of sin. The power of sin. When Jesus says, you will be free indeed, he's not just saying, okay, well, the penalty won't affect you anymore, but you're still under the power of sin. No, Jesus is setting us free even from the power of sin. We read about this in Romans 6, verses 6 through 8, where he says, we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. Here's Paul's argument. He's saying, look, If you believe in Jesus, Jesus died for you as your representative. And so in a way, you died too. And if you've already died, the penalty for sin, death, doesn't apply to you anymore because you're already dead. Because you died with Jesus. And now you get to live just like Jesus rose from the dead. You rise from the dead also. You are alive. And now sin is no longer your master. Sin is no longer overpowering you. You can say no to sin now in a way that you could not before you knew Jesus. Charles Wesley, we sang it this morning. Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing. He says, Jesus breaks the power of reigning sin. He sets the prisoner free. But some of you are thinking, but wait a second, Stuart. Wait a second, wait a second, wait a second. Um, If Jesus sets us free from the power of sin, why am I still sinning? I mean, 
Is there a person in the room who thinks that they're free from sin completely and they're not sinning ever in this room? Are you brave enough to raise your hand if you think that? Yeah. If we're set free from the power of sin, why do we still sin? Well, we're set free from the power, the source of power has been cut off. But there's still some residual sin there that we're still fighting. But the power has been cut off because of Jesus. As an illustration, and I hope this works, Please don't turn me into my presbytery if this doesn't work well. So last night, we were trying a new recipe. And we were cooking uh, chicken souvlaki, which I, I love Greek food. And so I was really excited about this. And, and we, we have a George Foreman grill. You know what a George Foreman grill is? It's, it's not the outdoor grill, which is so much better. But the, the George Foreman grill is like people who are novices with grills like me use. Okay, so you open it up and there's a grill part on this side and a grill part on that side. You put your food in there, you close it and it grills on both sides at the same time. It's beautiful, it's beautiful. So last night I'm cooking this, cooking the chicken and it's smelling good. And after I took the chicken off, I was like, you know what? Uh, this is really hot. I need to unplug it. So I unplugged it. Power source is gone. There's still some residual heat there. It wouldn't be good to touch it. Even five minutes after, you'll get burned. In the same way, Jesus has unplugged the source of our sinful inclinations. He's unplugged it because he's given us a new nature. We're new creatures in Christ. Our old self has been crucified with him. And now we are new creations. And what that means is even though we're a new creation, there's still some residual sin going on there. Now eventually that's going to go away. Jesus is going to make sure that's all gone one day. But for now, we're still dealing with that remaining residual sin, even though the power source has been cut off. So you can say no to sin. Not perfectly, but you can. And it is a defeatist attitude to say that you can't. Yes, there are sins that are what we call habitual sins that we will fight with for the rest of our lives. I don't understand why that is. God in his wise providence has made it so. And he will remove those one day. But even then, we can find moments of power to say no to even those habitual sins. And if we don't believe that, then we're not believing Jesus. Jesus said, if you abide in my word and my words abide in you, you're going to produce fruit. And in this passage, he said, if you abide in me, you'll show that you really are my disciples and the truth will set you free. And if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. 
We need to believe that. That the power of Jesus in us is greater than the power of sin. And that leads us to the third thing that Jesus frees us from. He frees us from the penalty. He frees us from the power. This is going to be the one that really pushes our buttons a little bit. Jesus frees us from the practice of sin. The practice. Where am I getting that? Verse 34. Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. And then he goes on in verse 36. So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. In other words, there is something that changes when we really believe in Jesus, when we're trusting in Him, there's something that changes deep inside us that we're able, we've got power by the Holy Spirit to say, no, I will not practice this sin. I may fall into it. I may find myself doing it and I go, oh, I didn't mean to do that. But we will not practice it. Uh, Nick Baktig uh, in an article in, called uh, The Secret of Sanctification. And I, I, I'm including this because I thought it was very apropos to what we're talking about. He says this, I often fear that those who are the most skillful at diagnosing the complexity and atrocity of sin in themselves and in pointing it out in others are the least skillful in pointing themselves and others to the Savior. It is far easier to fixate on the problem than to focus on the solution. It is actually quite easy to focus on sin and quite difficult to keep our eyes steadfastly fixed on Jesus. My brothers and sisters, are you so focused on your besetting sins? Are you so focused on the ugliness of your sin? that you've forgotten that Jesus is bigger than your sin, that Jesus is better than your sin, that Jesus can break the power of reigning sin in your life, and he does. And that means we can stop practicing sin. Even though we're going to fall into sin, we cannot keep from sinning in some way, fashion, or form in this life, but we don't have to practice it. Again, let me try to explain this by means of a, an illustration. I was a music major, and uh, as a music major, we were required to practice so many hours a day, a week, whatever it was. If you practice the right things and you practice well, you get pretty good at what you're doing. But if you practice your mistakes which, looking back, I did that a lot. It, it's a problem. I look back on my time in college as a music major and I realize just how often I sat in the practice room and I thought, I'm practicing. And I was, but what I was doing was I was practicing the wrong things. 
I was working hard, but I was doing it wrong. Wrong technique, the wrong timing, the wrong whatever. I just, and I was practicing it wrong. And so when I would go to my professor, who, my guitar professor, who would sit, and, and I've told my kids this, he would sometimes sit and listen to me play and he'd go, oh, oh, oh. And one time, one time, he even said, get out. And don't come back until you get it right. I found out later that he did that to every guitar uh, major that day. So I didn't feel too bad. I think that was his new technique. But when you practice the wrong things, you're going to get good at those wrong things, right? Jesus, by the Holy Spirit, gives us the power to practice the right things. To practice what is good. What looks like Jesus. And that's what this is all about, folks. That the freedom found in Jesus is the freedom to be what we were created to be in the first place. The image of God reflecting His goodness. That's what all of this is really about. Freedom isn't the freedom to just do whatever you want, period. No, freedom is found in Jesus. And it's the freedom to be what we were created to be in the first place. Images of God reflecting back God's goodness. That's what you were designed to do. That's what you were made to be. You all were made to be a person who reflects God perfectly back to Him so that He can smile in his, and see His own reflection in you. And Jesus restores that to all who believe. He makes us new creations. We're reworked to live that out, to be what we were meant to be. Sin tells you that true freedom is saying no to God and yes to what's wrong. And God is saying no, say yes to what is right by believing in Jesus and trusting that he will change you from the inside out and make you a new person and then you can live in a way that honors God. Not perfectly in this life, because we won't be free from the presence of sin until we see Jesus face to face. But in the meantime, we are freed from the penalty. We are freed from the power. And we are being freed from the practice of sin. So if you need an action point for today, and you're trying to think, well, what do I do with this information? Pray. Pray that you personally will experience the true freedom found in Christ Jesus. Don't just talk freedom. Don't just say, oh, I believe Jesus set me free, but then go out and live a life that shows that you don't really understand what that means. No, pray that you will experience for yourself true freedom that's found in Jesus, that you will know that the penalty of sin has been paid in full, that you will know that the power of sin has been unplugged and you now are just dealing with the residual remnants of it, but it doesn't have mastery over you. You can say no, and that you are being freed 
from the practice of sin, and you're freed up not to practice the wrong things, but the right things. That's what Jesus does for us. That's the freedom he gives us. And if you believe in Jesus and you trust in him, you will be free indeed. So, let's know and celebrate this freedom that is found in Christ. And I'm going to pray for all of us, believer and non-believer, that we'll all know and celebrate that kind of freedom that's found in Jesus. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, thank you that it is your truth that sets us free, and whom you set free, we are free indeed. And even now, as we come to celebrate this meal that you have given us to remind us of your life and death and resurrection, would you use this time to show us just how free those of us who believe are. And for those who are not yet a believer, that you would show them just how enslaved they really are to their sin, that they would run to you and look to you alone for their help in being set free from their sin. Work, Holy Spirit, in whatever way you see fit. Amen.